You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's going on, man? Disappointed in my Giants. Now they go on the list of they lost to Cooper Rush. And a little nervous about my New York Mets as they are down to the wire in a National League East race, which they decide to struggle in. Jacob DeGrom, not too good in his last two starts either. I still think the Mets will win the division, even though Atlanta is definitely going to be pulling on their Johnsons as this weekend. Hopefully, pull this off, and the Mets need to keep intact and close with that Atlanta Braves team. They do have the tiebreaker. It's going to be interesting. The Yankees have clinched the American League East, so the Yankees don't have to worry about any teams behind them. Aaron Judge is trying to get number 62, trying to win the Triple Crown, hitting 61 this week, tying Roger Maris and trying to break the American League home run record. As Aaron Judge says, Barry Bonds has the home run record. We will get into Zach Wilson's return for the New York Jets with the woes of the offensive line. George Font now on IR, just like Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown could be back next week. Zach is now back, and the attack is ready to come. Hopefully, Zach against Pittsburgh can show people why the Jets actually drafted him at number two, because we're watching Trevor Lawrence show everybody why he was the number one pick. Now it's time for Zach to show everybody why he was the number two pick. The Giants lose their first game. Sterling Shepard is out for the season. Torn ACL. Where do the Giants go as far as the wide receiving position as they lose probably their best catching wide receiver. NFL investigates the Dolphins on violation of concussion protocols for Tua as Tua got hurt on Thursday night football. Once again was rushed to the hospital with neck and head injuries. He did leave the hospital but there's a lot to be concerned about with the Miami Dolphins as they don't have a first round draft pick as we know what the owner has done over the last year or so. If the NFL wants to find them or take a draft pick it won't be a number one. It's like Stephen Ross was either going to get Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, or hang on to Tua and actually have him like it there, and now they might get neither of them if Tua keeps getting frustrated with this team. We will have our three-for-all picks of the week as I am in the lead. Steve Nash comments on Ben Simmons not needing to shoot a jump shot. So Steve Nash opens his mouth and sounds like an idiot. Maybe that's why Kevin Durant wants him out. And so does Kyrie Irving. Money line mania with Chaz and our special guest. We will be talking to owner of Forever Blue Shirts and Daily Goldhorn, Anthony Scaltori. Me and Anthony have a bone to pick with each other as he is a Ranger guy. I am an Islander guy and he loves to make the Islanders look worse than they really are. Think about Errol and Anthony arguing like Sean Avery and Matt Martin if they were to fight. It will be interesting to hear his wonderful voice again on this show. But first things first, let's get into Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge against the Toronto Blue Jays. Not the Red Sox, not the Rays, but the Blue Jays. 
Hits number 61 later in the innings. You see the sigh of relief for Aaron Judge because he's been really stressing. you trying to pull the ball. That's something that he does not like to do. This is a man that baseball wants to see break the record. He's very well respected around the league. He is the face of baseball right now. Everybody keeps talking about Mike Trout or Shea Otani, Bryce Harper. This man is the face of baseball. Six foot seven, 280 pound Goliath who hit 61 home runs this year, could be 62. He's on his way to possibly winning a triple crown and having one of the greatest regular seasons we have ever seen. What we have seen over the last couple of years, watching Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, baseball is looking for that next big power hitter. The guy that not only hits for power, hits for average RBIs and slugging percentage. Over this era, there's four guys. Alex Rodriguez being one of them. This has been a very impressive season for the great Aaron Judge. Now, if he doesn't break 62, is it a lost season? I would say not. He doesn't care about these records. He cares about winning championships. And going into the offseason, he could be not a Yankee. Because he could decide to opt away from the New York Yankees organization and go elsewhere to maybe the Boston Red Sox or the San Francisco Giants. Aaron Judge is what the Yankees preach. Aaron Judge is what the Yankees are. They are a machine. They've been a machine, an organization in professional sports for decades. We talk about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Thurman Munson, Don Mattingly, Derek Jeter, Yogi Berra, some of the greatest baseball players to ever play the game. And this man, who was drafted in the first round, yes, but not in the top 10, in the 20s, was passed up by 20 different teams. This is an impressive year, not only for the New York Yankees, Aaron Judge, who really carried the New York Yankees throughout this season. And the Yankees right now are American League East champions. And without Aaron Judge, they don't win the division. They don't even make the playoffs. When you look at what he has done, when you look at the numbers, and he leads the league in about 12 different statistics, which if you look at the greatest seasons of all time, he is amongst those great seasons. It is a special year to win a Triple Crown and break the home run record in the American League. Not only is that special, it's revolutionary. It's everything that you want a Yankee, a baseball player That stands for one thing, team baseball, team concept. That's what you want to see. And that's why this is not only impressive, it's special. Not only for the Yankees organization, but for Major League Baseball. You're looking at a complete season. Hitting numbers are off the charts. 61 home runs, 130 RBIs, 108 walks, OPS 1.122, which is the highest of the StatCast era. He also has 16 stolen bases. He's also played very good center field, carrying this Yankees offense in the second half when, honestly, the Yankees offense has had the slumps of their own. But they won the division and played very well down the stretch. Aaron Judge, yes, he was trying to swing for the record at this point, and he got walked a lot, but he finally did it. Now he has that monkey off his back. And when you're judging the home run seasons of all time, yes, this is the best one now without having the use of the steroids. You talk about the steroid era. I know you say it's not a big deal for baseball, which is fine, but if Aaron Judge was taking steroids, you'd probably add 10 home runs to his total. You're looking at 71. You're looking at that same kind of season. It's a very historic season for Aaron Judge. Absolutely is the MVP. Absolutely is the face of baseball right now. And I know Major League Baseball definitely loves the fact that it's happening for a New York team, a team as accomplished, as historic as the Yankees are. It is very special. 
And for Aaron Judge to do it in Yankee Stadium would be even more special. And this weekend with Baltimore and Texas, I would love to see him break the home run record in Yankee Stadium. Nobody wants to see him do it Toronto or Boston, even though it would be funny if he did it in Boston. (laughs) That's what all Yankee fans are hoping for at this time last week. But you want to see it in Yankee Stadium. The house that Judge built, not Jeter, not anybody else, even though Jeter was the captain when that stadium was built. But the Yankees right now are playing pretty good baseball. They're going into the series against Baltimore, and then they have Texas. I expect the Yankees and Aaron Judge to push forward, try to win as many games as they possibly can. They're not catching Houston, but the only time they're going to have to see Houston is in the American League Championship. I don't think they have to worry about Houston, even though they don't play very well in Houston. And we have seen this over the last five years. It's been a huge problem for the New York Yankees, a horrible problem beating Justin Verlander, and they'll probably have to see him at least twice in the American League Championship Series. So it's going to be interesting where the Yankees are and how Aaron Boone tries to set up this roster because all these guys are getting healthy at the right time. DJ LeMayu came back on Friday night. Ben Attendee is coming back. Carpenter's coming back. Oswald Cabrera has played fantastic. He's been as good as Aaron Judge has been the last two weeks. So are you going to take him out of the lineup? How are they going to sit this guy out? He has been as hot a hitter as anybody in baseball right now. He's batting like 350-something in the last two and a half weeks. He's hit five home runs, and he's a great defender. He can play second base. He can play the outfield. He can play third base. The only position he can't play is probably pitching and gadget. Aaron Hicks is starting to hit, too. So do you keep him in the lineup? It's going to be very interesting how Aaron Boone tries to set up this roster for the divisional against either Cleveland or Seattle. I wouldn't want to be Aaron Boone, and I wouldn't want to be Brian Cashman, because if you make the wrong mistake and you don't pick the right guy on this roster for that particular series and they get knocked out, a lot of fans are not going to be very happy. It's the interesting dilemma of, do you trust your bullpen enough to be able to not have to add more pitchers like they did in the beginning of the season? Because there were plenty of guys that were locked down then, but there were plenty of hitters that came up and had instant impacts outside of Aaron Judge really carried the lineup when the veteran guys were hurt. Do you play the guys that have been trustworthy for you for much of the season in that bullpen? Because most American League teams do tend to do more pitchers than hitters just because of the DH in the past, but now it's universal, especially with all the relief pitching injuries that they've had. Yeah, that's going to be a tough decision. Aaron Boone, who many Yankee fans don't like as it is, this is a big year for him. And then there's the Mets. And I could say a lot of things about the New York Mets. What we have seen over the last couple of weeks is problems with the lineup. They cannot hit in certain stints. And they better hope that this doesn't happen during the playoffs. Because if it does, the Mets could be eliminated very, very shortly. I do believe the Mets will win this division. No matter how well the Braves have played them and will play them in this series throughout the weekend. I I just think the Mets are a better team. I think they have the better pitching. But in the playoffs, I don't know if the Mets are better. We know what the Braves are. We've seen the Braves win a championship last year. It's a different team. This is not the same Braves team. They don't have Freeman there. They don't have the outfielders they made trades for at the trade deadline last year. They do have pieces like Acuna, who didn't play last year, who's one of the better center fielders in all of baseball. Albies is back. This team is going to be as dangerous as they were last year. Maybe even more dangerous because of their bullpen. So the Mets have a lot to be ready for in the playoffs because they aren't the hunting 
They're the hunted. The Braves are hunting for them for the division. The Dodgers know what they're all about, starting pitching with Bassett, Scherzer, and DeGrom. DeGrom hasn't pitched well in his last two games. Does that mean he's not going to pitch well in the playoffs? I think you could trust DeGrom out of all these pitchers on the Mets because he has the best stuff. You're going to say, well, we have Max Scherzer. We have DeGrom. We're going to go all the way. Nobody is scared of the New York Mets. Not with that lineup. They have two players in that lineup that is actually hitting right now. And that's scary when you're going into the playoffs and you have all these powerhouse teams like the Dodgers, like the Cardinals. Look at the middle of that lineup. Like the Braves in the middle of that lineup. And even the teams that are trying to squeak in, a.k.a. the San Diego Padres. They might not have a very deep lineup either, but they have two of the best hitters in baseball in the middle of that lineup. But their lineup's like the Mets, too, where they have guys that are definitely capable of doing it. They're just all streaky this year. Mm. So they're definitely one to watch out for, too. I was all on the Padres at the beginning of the season, bouncing back because they had a very bad second-half collapse like the Mets. If both of those teams, the Padres and the Mets, could get some kind of consistency with their hitters, they could definitely be dangerous because both of them have great pitching and both of them have great star power. I would say the Padres have the better bullpen. But looking at the Braves, they're differently structured than they were last year. They're much more reliant on their young pitching and their bullpen. Max Fried is a Cy Young candidate again this year. Kyle Wright's been a nice young pitcher for them too. And then Spencer Strider, who just got hurt, was pitching really well for them this year. But He's been one of the best yeah. pitchers in baseball. So you're judging a lot of how these guys can come back from injuries too. Same kind of thing with Albies. He'll be back for the postseason. Hasn't played in the regular season in over three months. We'll see how, if he's a little rusty coming back. It's still a scary yes, bat. definitely a bat. A switch hitter that is going to be very hard to pitch around and still going to create opportunities for everybody else too. Just his presence alone with Riley and Swanson and the rest of that infield too. The outfielders they're younger now with Michael Harris they're not all the same three traded line acquisitions are gone. Rosario's still there but hasn't been great coming back from his injury and then the other two are gone anyway. But again, differently structured team that doesn't mean they can't do it either but if the Mets definitely can seize the division it would be ideal because of the injuries that they're dealing with right now. You want home field advantage yeah, because you're going to have to play the Braves if they come out of the wild card series they want to make sure that they have home field advantage. And right now the best team in baseball is the Dodgers. They have the best record. They have the best overall team. But the Dodgers have deficiencies too. They lost two starters early in the season. They're really crawling into the playoffs as well. So it's going to be very interesting. The National League is so much more fun to watch than the American League because you know who the two best teams in the American League is. You're not blinded to see. It's the Yankees and the Houston Astros. But in the National League, it could go four different ways. And even though the Dodgers have the best record, I think Atlanta's is just as good as the Dodgers. I think at some points this year, the Mets have been. The Cardinals have been as hot as any team in baseball. And even even the Padres. I don't think anybody wants to play the Padres in a wild card game. Not with that pitching staff and even with Machado and Soto. And We have seen Soto carry a team all the way into the World Series and win the World Series by himself. Carry an offense. Don't be shy to think that Soto can't do it with the Padres. I know the Padres have been down, but if you want to compare this Padres lineup to the lineup that Soto carried with the Nationals, the Padres still have just as much if not more talent with the depth too and a better manager too. Bob Melvin who, yeah, he's had his postseason woes with the athletes. But who hasn't had their postseason woes with the athletics? When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will talk some Jets football. Yes. As Robert Sala is taking receipts, he might as well take a receipt from Zach Wilson because he is back. (laughs) Zach Wilson is back with no offensive line. The two tackles are out on IR. So where do they depend on the tackle presentation? A guy named Max Mitchell, who's a rookie, a fourth-round draft pick, and another guy they dropped on their 53 roster and brought him back because they have no depth. So when we come back, we'll talk about the Jets' woes defensively, Zach Wilson's return, and who is taking receipts like Robert Sala. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News or Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Let's get into the Jets. It's exciting when your starter slash star, and I say star, because we don't know if he is, your quarterback is back, Zach Wilson. And I know Jet fans were upset, including yours truly, when he got hurt in Philadelphia against the Philadelphia Eagles. He threw an interception, and then the next drive, he tries to shimmy away from a linebacker, should have slid, should have stepped out of bounds, decided to juke, and hurt his knee. And every single doctor on social media said, season's over, career is over with the New York Jets, Zach Wilson tore his ACL, and then we find out he hurt his meniscus, and he bruised his knee. And the Jets kept him out for now, it's going on seven weeks. And he's back now uh, against a team that the Jets absolutely match up against, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Steelers, no matter what they look like from top to bottom, they always compete. A Mike Tomlin team always competes defensively, offensively. But for the first time in a very long time, they really don't know who their quarterback is. They don't know if it's Mitchell Chapitsky. They hope it's Kenny Pickett. And Kenny Pickett is not going to start in this game. It's going to be Mitch. And nobody believes in Zach Wilson. How many experts have we spoken to over the last past year about Zach Wilson in this first year? Nobody believes in him. I know Chris Sims does. Tony Romo loves him. The analysts that have been quarterbacks love the kid. But the writers, the press, anybody that's checked him out in practices besides the Jet guys have all said he's not the guy. A lot of analytic guys don't like him. But over the years, we've seen this before with quarterbacks. Look at Tua. He was horrible for his first two years. He couldn't stay healthy. He was drafted before Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's not having a good season, by the way, either. When everybody thought this was going to be a breakout season, MVP season, he's not having that right now. Maybe because of injury. Maybe because his team is not playing in front of him. Maybe Keenan Allen injury or some of these guys have taken a little while to figure things out offensively. Or maybe he's just not as good as people think he is. Playing quarterback in the NFL is not easy. You have the most pressure, but the most reward in professional sports. When you're as top of the league as you can be. The Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, the Peyton Mannings, the Drew Breeses. That's when you're very well respected around all sports. And Zach Wilson, I don't know if he's Peyton Manning. I don't know if he's Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, who's had a fantastic season so far. What I do know is he's a quarterback that can move inside and out of the pocket, something Joe Flacco cannot do. He can hide the deficiencies of the tackle positions. Because he can escape out of the pocket and throw the ball on the run when somebody is chasing him. What scares me now is they brought in these high-profile tackles, a.k.a. Dwayne Brown. And he could be back next week. He'll be practicing. But now you lost George Fonny. He might not be back with a knee injury until week 10. So we won't see this offensive line, what we expected to see all season long, until the tail end of the season. When the season could be over for the Jets. And people will probably have their head outside of the pocket on Zach Wilson. Calling for his head talking about this year's draft with the quality quarterbacks that are going to be in it. Zach Wilson has his work cut out for him. The pressure is on now. He has weapons. There is no excuses anymore. And those weapons are healthy. Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, 
Brees Hall, Michael Carter, Conklin, C.J. Osuma. This team should have the offense. Could be an electrifying offense this year. If Zach Wilson could finally show up in a game and show people why the Jets believed in him when they watched him play in Utah for BYU. This game against the Steelers is going to have two big tests, one of which is for Mike LaFleur to finally develop an offense that offensive line doesn't have to be this great unit because a lot of backups will be in the game. You know you have all these tackles out. Figure out a way to make it work with great concepts, with motion, ways to throw off the Steelers. Now, the Steelers outside rush without TJ Watt is not great. Alex Highsmith's a second linebacker who's alright, and then they have a bunch of young players. It's not a scary unit. Their interior, though, is very good. Well-developed in this offseason. They drafted a kid in Leal who I like. They signed Larry Ogunjobi. Almost went to the Jets, too. But the outside is not great. So if you could build concepts to help Zach Wilson out and aid him, maybe have receivers overloaded to one side, it could definitely help. And then as far as Zach Wilson, a big key of sensing pressure. I mentioned this all the time with Daniel Jones. He sometimes goes to his first read right away and panics. And you can't do that against this type of team. Because, yes, they don't have the outside rushing depth, but they still have Mike Tomlin. They still have that defensive scheme that's been very good. And Brian Flores has added another element to that as well, despite the injuries. So those will be two big big test for them because he has the weapons for sure. Those guys are all healthy right now. Yes, Tyler Conklin is doing his best Evan Engram impression and has pot hands so far, and so does Corey Davis, but these are good weapons. Conklin hit at 84 yards and a touchdown last week. Garrett Wilson, too. We'll see on Elijah Moore, but yeah, these are two tests for both of those guys, Mike LaFleur and Zach Wilson. The Jets' defense needs to show up in this game. They need to put pressure on Mitchell Trubisky because you cannot let Mitchell Trubisky throw 300 yards in this game. He hasn't thrown 300 yards yet this season. And the Jets' defense, which was always been talked about going into the offseason with this front seven with Carl Lawson and Rankins and Quinton Williams, and then they drafted Jermaine Johnson. Why isn't this front seven playing as well as everybody thought they were going to be? Everybody thought that the defense was going to carry this team. It's been the offense and the special teams. And the secondary has been not as good as everybody thought it was going to be. And I'm not taking away what DJ Reed is and what Sauce Gardner is because look at the numbers. The numbers show that nobody wants to throw to them. Go look at the Bengals game with T. Higgins, who didn't score a touchdown in that game. The great Jamar Chase when he played against Sauce Gardner. He was held to 35 yards in that game. And the guy that beat him is the guy in the slot, Boyd, who they used as a hidden weapon against the safeties. The safety play for the New York Jets in Whitehead and Joyner has been absolutely horrible. Horrendous. Whitehead, who got a lot of money from the Jets in the offseason, the Jets are going to have to figure out what they're going to do with him. He's not the guy that they thought he was going to be to fit in his defense. And Darrell Reeves is cousin. He's far from Revis Island. He's more like a pimple. He's a dirty whitehead. Because I can't expect that this defense is going to hold up against a Pittsburgh Steelers team. That's not good offensively. Harris is not 100% healthy if he even plays in the game. Johnson hasn't been good this year. Claypool has been garbage. They're not the Bengals. The Jets should be able to compete with them in Pittsburgh. It could be raining over there. It could be slushy. It could be sloppy. There is no excuses. The Jets have the better running team. Because Najee Harris isn't 100% healthy. Both the Jets running backs are healthy. And we're seeing an evolution of running plays that the Jets have used over the last couple of weeks. Brees Hall's becoming better and better every single week. You're seeing more and more touches from him. Michael Carter, they need to use him more on the outside. Start throwing the ball, pitching him the ball and screen passes. Look what the Bengals did with Joe Mixon in certain points of the game to beat the Jets on those short screen passes. The Jets need to take away what they have seen on the field over the last couple of weeks and say, hey, maybe we should do that. I am not a big Mike 
LaFleur fan. And Ulbrich, he is the worst defensive coordinator in football. If the Jets give up another 30 in this game, the Jets are definitely going to have to sit down with Ulbrich and decide if he's the right guy for this position as a defensive coordinator. And if he's not, you fire him, and Robert Sala should take over that defense as we all know what he can do as a defensive coordinator. I'll start with the safeties because I was never a big fan of LaMarcus Joyner as a free safety as it is. I think he's better as a slot corner. I think they've misused him in that role. Jordan Whitehead was good for the Bucks last year, but is more of a box safety, more of a shallow coverage type safety. I think what you're seeing with Robert Sala and Jeff Volberg using him is similar to how the Giants when Landon Collins was on the Giants still, when James Betcher came in, misused him and he really looked horrible after that. If the Steelers are going to continue to beat you in those seams, that's going to be a big problem because the Steelers really don't have a lot of deep threats. Their best deep threat right now is probably Pickens, who's a rookie. A good rookie, but a rookie. Deontay Johnson's a solid slot guy, but he's not really a deep threat. Chase Claypool's slow. Pat Frymuth's a solid tight end, but not really a deep threat. If they're still getting beaten deep in those seams, that's a big problem because Mitch Trubisky's not exactly the deep accuracy type either. So you have a lot of things that should go your way, but isn't going to if they keep continuing to struggle like that. As far as the pass rush, this is a good opportunity for them to wake up because the Steelers offensive line, it got better from last year, but it's still nothing special. Their tackles especially are not great. Marquise Pouncey retired. They don't have a lot on that interior either. So if the Jets interior rush especially needs to wake up to help out Carl Lawson, this is the week to do it. Don't trust your linebackers and your corners to have to do everything because that's not how you're going to mold a good defense together, especially in today's And let's be honest, Carl Lawson has not looked good. I don't care what the numbers tell throughout the league that he has been behind the line of scrimmage more than any defensive lineman in football. It doesn't matter. He's not touching the quarterback. He's not causing havoc in the backfield. This is Carl Lawson. Everybody believed in this defense. Last year, before he tore his Achilles, everybody was saying how beastly he looked on the field against the Green Bay Packers practice team. He was by far the best player on the field. Now he comes back and they say, oh, he looks great. He looks so conditioned. He's looked like crap. There has to be more pressure on the quarterback. When you watch the Bengals last week dominate in the open field because nobody could put pressure on him, and then they lose their best defensive player throughout the season, it's Quincy Williams that has been as good as any defensive player for the Jets this year. Not Quinton, Quincy. The guy that they stole from the Jaguars. And he gets a high ankle sprain. And that, the Jets lucked out on that because it looked bad. He got carted off the field. He had like this leg thing put on him. It looked like it was really bad. Some people thought he tore something. But he didn't. Jets lucked out. But what they're not lucky about right now, which is going to be the problem, is that offensive line. That offensive line, the interior is going to be good. And teams are going to know. What we'll do is we'll stack pile two guys on the outside. We don't care about the middle. Let's go after the outside guys. There'll be a seam that we can rip right through, and we'll get one of these guys after the quarterback. There's no stupidity on game planning against an offensive line. You know the weakness of the offensive line? You attack it. It's simple. And I believe a great Pittsburgh defense will figure it out, even without TJ Watt. When we come back, we'll get into some Giants and throughout the NFL in week number three, and we will go into week number four here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into the Giants, I want to give a shout out to all those people in Florida that is dealing with the 
electricity loss over there, the floods, losing their homes, families getting split apart because of the weather over there. It's been absolutely horrendous over there down south. My heart goes out to all the families and people that are dealing with this absolute tragedy. May everybody take care of themselves, and we're hoping and praying for you guys down south. Absolutely. Now, New York Giant fans. Monday Night Football, could you honestly sit here today, what you have watched, be happy that the Giants lost against a third-string quarterback? Yes, a third-string quarterback. I know what you're going to say. He's really the second string this year. He's a third string. On any other team, he wouldn't even be on a roster. And I don't want to hear Jerry Jones, when Dak comes back, it's going to be a quarterback challenge. No, it's not. This is Dak's job. The fact that Dak had to listen to that is just a joke. This guy, Rush, is nowhere close to the talent Dak Prescott is. I know the Cowboy fans don't like him because of what he did in the playoffs last year. He made a mistake. People make mistakes. The big mistake in that game was the Giants pressing the way they did. You had a chance to win this game. You were the better team. You had the better quarterback. You had the better running back. You didn't have the best wide receiver, but your wide receiving core was just as good as the Cowboys, maybe better. Not saying much. No. Outside of Lamb, obviously. Their offensive line's better, the Giants. Defense, probably not. The Cowboys' defense has been otherworldly. They have arguably the best pass rusher in, in football right now, and Micah Parsons. But on Monday Night Football, they should have won that game. The Cowboys, in the fourth quarter, outplayed them. The Giants have a very easy schedule. They have a schedule uh, coming up right now, playing Chicago. I mean, are you serious? Chicago is 2-1 and one right now. Justin Fields look horrible. That offense has been horrendous. If the Giants lose against this Chicago Bears team this week, there is a huge problem offensively. I like Dable. I think Dable's a good coach. I think they found their coach of the future. I like his personality. I like his swag. I like his temper on the sidelines. Everything that you loved about Tom Coughlin, he is the younger version of Tom Coughlin. And the players believe in him. They trust him. And the offense is moving, even with the lack of talent that they have on the field. Thank you, Galladay, by the way. <laughs> I am not a Giant fan, but the Giants should be going into this game 3-0 and possibly going 4-0 in a very early season. I know it's not the schedule, and everybody says, well, look who they've beaten, look who they played. You play whatever on your schedule. And nobody thought the Titans or the Panthers were worse talent-wise than the Giants going into that game either. The Giants are a rebuilding team for a reason, and they still won those games, so the expectations change for a Cowboys team with Cooper Rush at quarterback, a third-string quarterback, according to everybody except for Jerry Jones. But nevertheless, yeah, the Giants looked like the worst team in that matchup. And I don't blame Dable. I think Dable's play calling was still good. I don't think there was anything notably wrong formation-wise, motion-wise, anything like that. The players just got to execute on a much more consistent basis. And Saquon Barkley got it going in the second half, but was bottled up all first half, and that's a big problem. Outside of Andrew Thomas, the offensive line has continued to struggle. Evan Neal on that right tackle spot still looking really bad in pass blocking, which has not been ideal in the interior. Oh, God. It is a nightmare. You have to give Evan Neal a little bit of time. I'll give him time. Run blocking, he's been fine, but pass blocking is still an issue. Daniel Jones, yes, he was pressured a lot, I understand, but even when he did have a clean pocket in the middle of the field, he was making a lot of bad decisions with the ball, overthrowing guys a lot. Look how game. bad Thomas looked the first couple of games. That's fair. He didn't look really good. Everybody thought he was going to be a bust, and then he started to figure things out, and now he's playing very good. He's a very good left tackle. Evan Neal is too good to look as bad as he has when it comes to pass blocking. That's his strength was the pass blocking in Alabama. And he played the right tackle position over there. He is playing the right tackle position. I think he just needs to figure things out. And I think he'll be fun. I don't think the tackle positions and the offensive
offensive line has been the problem for the Giants. The problem with the Giants is they have no weapons. Yeah, well, the interior offensive line is a mess. But with the weapons, yeah, they might be even more of a mess at this oh point. Oh, my God. They're as horrible as any team in the NFC. There is nothing that sticks out right now that scares you on that Giants team. You have two guys that are hurt who are going to be gadget-type guys with Tony and Wandale Robinson when they do when, come back. When Tony comes back, I think you got a bona fide number one. But he just needs to learn how to shut his mouth. And when he does figure it out and he becomes a superstar wide receiver, if he does become that, hopefully he doesn't turn into Odell Beckham, where the Giants have problems controlling him on the field. I don't think his mouth is quite there, but I don't also think his talent is there either at, to the Odell level because he's very undersized and he's not as skilled overall as Odell was when he came into the league when it comes to a route running standpoint. Yes, he might be a little bit faster, but again, it's not by much if he is. And yeah, he's useful for that offense, but still, how will he come back is another question. Yeah, the rest of those wide receivers, no tight ends that are really worth speaking of on this roster. Yeah, they've had a couple that have caught touchdowns, but nothing really to speak of. And Dables really had to make that kind of thing work. As far as the defense, they did a good job shutting down CeeDee Lamb in the first half, not so much in the second half, but their run defense to the outside, especially to the left, was really bad in that game. A lot of surprises this past week, and now going into week number four, Carolina knocking off the Saints. A lot of people thought that Carolina was going to go into the season 0-3. They have looked horrible. When they played the Giants the week before that, the Giants outplayed them. They shut down Christian McCaffrey. They shut down DJ Moore. Baker Mayfield needs to figure out the understanding of what DJ Moore and the type of player DJ Moore is. DJ Moore is a fantastic wide receiver, but you're three weeks in and your top wide receiver doesn't have over 300 yards. That is a huge problem. A guy that year in and year out when healthy easily has over 1,000 yards. And everybody thought with Baker Mayfield being there, he was going to make DJ Moore a little bit better. And he hasn't. And these two offenses both are very problematic right now. Getting their running backs going again. McCaffrey and Kamara, two of the best probably like three years ago. They're not getting it going right now. DJ Moore not getting it going for the Panthers. And Chris Olave has really been the only guy for the Saints that has played Crazy. Well so far. Crazy. Olave has been as good as a lot of people didn't think was going to be in the NFL. Really because of his size. Because he's so light. I said that about Smith too. Coming from Alabama. I thought he was a very good route runner. But how is he going to fit in the NFL style of game where people are going to beat you up and hit you the way they do and not like college football? Smith has proven a lot of people wrong and Alave so far has proven people wrong too. I mean, this guy could do everything and could turn out to be a pretty good wide receiver in this league. Kansas City getting knocked off by Indianapolis. Indianapolis has not looked good the last two weeks. Jacksonville and the Texans. You can't sell me when you're in one of the worst divisions in football and you have to play the Texans twice a year and the Jaguars twice a year. Now, I know the Jaguars have been sensational early this season. I believe they'll come down to earth. They're not as good as people think they are. The defense has so many weaknesses. They have just played better football than people thought they were going to. And Indianapolis, they have been putrid. Defensively, offensively, Jonathan Taylor has had a decent season. Pittman, when he stays on the field, he's a good wide receiver. But maybe losing Carlson Wentz in the offseason and sending him over there to Washington wasn't the smart move. Matt Ryan is the older quarterback. I just don't trust him. When the going gets tough, is this guy the same quarterback he was with Atlanta when he was an MVP. I don't know if he is. Yeah, the Colts' offense definitely still is concerning because Taylor hasn't practiced this week. Pittman's had issues with injuries so far this year, and this is the first game there they really showed some other depth. Jelani Woods, rookie tight end, caught two touchdowns, but even their offensive line was not great in that game. The Chiefs' defense kept them in it, but what lost the Chiefs the game were two things, one of which was the drops. The other thing was the special teams. Harrison Bucker, their kicker out. Former Jet, Matt Amendola, had to step up, but he did not play well in that game, and the receivers 
there. It's a big issue for the Chiefs. They might be missing Tyreek Hill now. Miami knocking off Buffalo. I wasn't surprised. A lot of people thought Buffalo was going to absolutely bone crush Miami. They didn't. Tua's injury and then coming back from the concussion protocol. Miami is definitely going to have to deal with that after what happened on Thursday Night Football. I've been very impressed with Tua. I've been very impressed with this team. Waddle. Tyreek Hill. This offensive line's played better than anybody thought they were going to. McDaniel right now is going for coach of the year. He's been fantastic. This five foot four guy that you wouldn't think would be a football coach. And the way he speaks at these press conferences, standing on chairs. And the players really respect him. I have to give him a lot of respect. He's like a little Oompa Loompa. He knows football. He's been very impressive. The, the Miami Dolphins have been very impressive offensively and even defensively. Very underrated defensively. Been very impressive. I think that's been the most underrated facet of them because, yeah, they were getting a lot of their starters back, but it was just a matter of losing Brian Flores would they be able to adjust to a new scheme with Josh Boyer and their pass rush, which I thought was going to be a big weakness for them, has been very good so far. Jalen Phillips in his second year was the worst rookie pass rusher last year among the ones drafted early. He's played well. Melvin Ingram's been fantastic. He's taken over where he left off at the Chiefs last year and has played very well in a 4-3 scheme, which is not normally his natural thing, so very impressive up front and they're winning close games. They're good in the fourth quarter so far. That's a good test of a battle test the team. As for the Bills, they had a problem winning close games last year and so far carried over into this year. When they dominate, they dominate, but have had trouble down the stretch with play calling. I think McKenzie not getting out of bounds not ideal either. Another McDaniels that is probably going to be looking for a new job at the end of the season. A guy that decided to flee New England, which probably was a big mistake, to go down to Vegas. The money that they spent in the offseason for Adams, and I don't know what's going on with the Vegas Raiders, but something needs to give, because if it doesn't, week four against the Broncos, and they go 0-4, not only is the heads going to be rolling, there's a good chance that Josh McDaniels doesn't last the regular season. The Raider fans are cruel and vicious, and if this team goes 0-4, 0-5 with the roster they have and the talent that they have offensively, that's a problem. When you have an offensive-minded coach. And you have a lot of problems when it comes to replacing all these other coaches, too. The Raiders went from the whole John Gruden scandal last year to an interim coach that rallied around the guys, rallied around all the off-field issues that they had last year, and got them into the playoffs. Their defense played well down the stretch, and then they lose a lot of those players, too. In addition to replacing a head coach, replacing a defensive coordinator, it's just unstable. It doesn't work for that kind of thing. And now going 0-3, losing an ugly one against the Titans. Derek Carr, Devontae Adams did all they could late in the game, but again, they didn't really have much help. Besides that, their offensive line's been struggling. Their defense has really been struggling outside of their front four and stopping the run. Derrick Henry went off in this game for the first time. A guy that was struggling the first two weeks against the Giants, who don't have a lot of top front seven talent. The Raiders should be better than that, and they're not. Jacksonville's been a surprise. Trevor Lawrence is becoming the star that we thought he was going to be. They're not games that just are flashy like Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert did. I think we're seeing the growth of what we see Trevor Lawrence could be in the NFL. This Jacksonville team is not a good team. Offensively, Their offensive line is definitely better than it was last year. James Robinson's a real deal. And if you believe that Travis Etienne is the future running back of this team, you can get a lot for James Robinson right now. He is that good. And he has been the best player on the field for them. They have to decide what they're doing offensively with all the weapons that they have. Chargers are in a lot of trouble. Justin Herbert, a rib injury. You don't know if he's 100%. I've heard that he's been getting shots in his ribs uh, during practices and before the games. 
that's a little scary and, and definitely something to worry about when your franchise quarterback is not 100%. Lose Joey Bosa for a significant amount of time. You lose your star offensive tackle, Slater, who's out for the regular season now with an injury, a significant injury. This team is starting to break down, and it's early in the season. Everybody, including yours truly, that thought the Chargers were going to be one of those dominant forces, they have been absolutely horrendous. Yeah, this defense, we'll see if they can get their depth tested without Joey Bosa. They've done it in the past, but only in certain years. The secondary already banged up as it is, and then the offensive line is the biggest thing being banged up right now. Corey Lindsley also got hurt in that game. He might play this week, but still not sure. They've already had issues with the right side of their offensive line when it comes to injuries, and Rashawn Slater being out for the year is a brutal, brutal blow. They've already had issues with Keenan Allen getting hurt, and now Justin Herbert, so that's a bad sign for the Chargers. They're going to have to have their depth tested in a big way. I still think it's capable, but it's going to be very hard. As far as the Jaguars, that defense in the front seven, I got to give them credit for. They've been a great job stopping the run. Yes, their secondary is iffy. I agree with you on that. But rushing the passer, getting that scheme going with Doug Peterson, they're definitely doing it offensively. You could definitely see what a competent coach does with Trevor Lawrence. He knows how to spread the ball around. Christian Kirk's had a nice year. Zay Jones had a nice year, too, for the Jacks. All right, Speedy. Let's go with our picks, our three-for-all picks of the week. All right, so score update. None of us gained any ground last week, so it's still you up by two at the moment. So we'll start with the aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars. First time they make an appearance in this segment against Doug Peterson's former team, the Philadelphia Eagles. The over-under for this game, 45 and a half. I want Doug Peterson to get his revenge on the Eagles, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to take the Eagles in this one. They've been just so dominant, so complete on both sides of the ball so far this year. I like the matchup with their offensive line. That's been great to contain that pass rush. I think James Robinson does have a big game for the Jaguars, but I think the Eagles secondary shuts down Trevor Lawrence and contains him enough. Jalen Hurts puts on another clinic this week. He's been a dark horse MVP. So I'm going to take the Eagles in this game. I'm going to take them on the over. The Eagles are the best team right now in football. Top to bottom, safeties, their corners have showed up, their front seven has showed up defensively, their special teams, their offense, they've been fantastic. They have so many weapons. They can run the ball, and yes, now they have a quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I like Jacksonville. I like what Trevor Lawrence is. I think they're developing chemistry. Peterson is definitely the guy that's going to really take Trevor Lawrence to that next level, as we know Urban Meyer wasn't. I have the Eagles in this game. I think it's going to be very close, and I think it'll be a high-powered scoring game. Give me the Eagles on the over. All right, next game, same over under 45 and a half. The Kansas City Chiefs at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like I said last week with the Packers and the Buccaneers, I think this is going to be a hyped quarterback matchup that people are going to think is high scoring. I think it'll be lower scoring. I'm going to take the Chiefs. I know the Bucs defense has been lethal in a lot of areas. Best scoring defense. They get a lot of sacks. But the Chiefs defense has been very good too. Run defense especially. They can rush the passer with Spagnolo too. And Tampa's offensive line has got a lot of problems with injuries so far this year. Donovan Smith might be out of this game. We talked about their interior offensive line having issues already this year. Leonard Fournette's been pretty good, but again, the rest of the weapons have been either in and out with injury. They get Mike Evans back this week from suspension, but I like the Chiefs in this one. I'll take them on the under. I like Tampa in this game. Obviously, Mike Evans coming back. Julio Jones will be back. Chris Godwin could be a game-time decision. This defense has been as good as any defense right now in football in the first three games of the season, so I think Tampa has the advantage being at home, and both teams lost last week, so whoever loses this game is going to be on a two-game losing streak. I'm going to bet not a against Tom Brady, who doesn't really go on a lot of two-game losing streaks. I think the weapons will be back. I think they'll get enough offense. I have Tampa on the under. All right, last game, probably the biggest one this week, the Buffalo Bills at the Baltimore Ravens. The over-under for this game, 51. I am going to take the Ravens in this one. I know the Buffalo, everyone thinks, is the best team in football, but I like the Ravens' matchup for two reasons, one of which is the Ravens have done a much better job with the deep passing game than I would have expected this year. Lamar Jackson doing a good 
job getting those weapons that we didn't expect to be able to utilize. It gets a Buffalo secondary, very banged up right now. Both safeties out right now. No Tredavious White. I think that's a matchup they could take advantage of. I think Josh Allen plays well in this game because the Ravens secondary has underwhelmed too. But I think they start off a little slow as the second game of back-to-back -back road games for them. The Ravens are at home. I'll take them on the over. This will be a shootout. I got Buffalo in this game. Buffalo has not looked good the last week, especially against Miami. I think this high-flying offense is going to definitely play harder this week. I think Gabe is going to have a good game. I think they're going to have Diggs really run different patterns, and they're going to be able to run the ball against this team. The Ravens defensively in the second half of the games over the last two weeks have not looked good. Even against the Jets, they had problems stopping the run in the second half of the game. So I have the Buffalo Bills on the over in this game. Those are our free-for-all picks of the week. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have Chaz Dominant on the handicapping and the picks. If you have not listened to this segment, boy, oh boy, you guys are missing out on some big money-roos. That's right, money. Cash those checks. When we come back, we'll be cashing ours here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Arrow Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey, the Oreo Wonder. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. There is no West tonight. He is working. He has a child. His kid looks cute. Happy that his kid is healthy. And again, shout out to all the people in Florida that's dealing with that absolute catastrophe down there. And the lights, the electricity over there, and their houses, and everything getting destroyed out there. It's just been unbelievable checking out the videos. And you have sharks in the backyard swimming in practically a pool of ocean water. And then you have crocodiles and alligators sitting on people's stoops. It's crazy right now over there in Florida. Our hearts go out to them and their families. We have Moneyline Mania. It is Chaz as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Chaz, what's going on, bud? I've been a busy, busy little boy. How's your family doing? Everybody's good, thank you. Dealing with all the stuff that families deal with. But today was a good day. I got to talk to quite a few friends over the last couple days. And I have major plays in major, major sports. We are ready. So, you should set your alarm for 10.55. Pack the bong. Pack the bowl and the bong. There you ready go. to go. So, you don't have to get up early for that. Get high. Get up about 10.55, hit the bong, turn on WWSRN, and watch Wake and Bake. You'll hear Hector. Hector has been on USL. I'll never forget. Hector came on the very first week, and USL hadn't started. It was the first week of whatever league he was doing, and he skunked it. He went 0-3, which he never goes 0-3. And ever since then, he's been on a nice little tear, but it's funny because the USL that he covers, it's pretty good soccer, but it's hard to find. A lot of books don't cover it. I would imagine on the Vegas Strip, if you walk into most of those casino sports books, you're not getting action on the USL. If you open their app, you get an app and do it on the phone. They'll offer more on the online casinos than they will in the sports booking house. But he gave out a three-teamer with the San Diego Phoenix and Sacramento. Toronto, Calgary. Wes likes the dog. Wes likes Toronto. Wes now. Wesy boy. Pick, he, this is a pick for our New York friends, he said. He likes the Jets plus three and a half. Really? They get a boost from Wilson being back in action. The Steelers won't be able to defend with all the injuries. I also think Steelers are in a bad spot against the Jets. D that gets better every week. 
So you wow. guys are very not. You hear that? The Jets defense getting better every wow. week. Wow, Wes is high on the Jets defense. Well, I think their secondary, their two corners are really good. DJ Reed is, is as good as he was when he played over there in Seattle. He was a pro ball player. Gardner, go look what he did against Jamar Chase last week. He shut him down. So, yeah, the secondary is good. Their linebackers are better than their front guys. I would have thought Quinn Williams and Rankins and Carl Lawson were going to be a lot better than they have been. And Franklin Myers has been absolutely terrible. So, I hope so. Here's my easy sports data for that game. New York Jets, for the game, they've allowed 24 or more in 8 of 9 of their last regular season game. Pittsburgh in the first quarter has scored 3 points or less in the last 10 of 11. Pittsburgh at home in the first half is under in 6 of 6. For the game, though, they're allowing 20 or less. So, Pittsburgh isn't scoring any points. They're not really giving up points. The Jets are kind of giving up points. But remember, when we talk about a small portion of the season, say we're saying this year, it's three games. You could have three games where you gave up 10 points and you're averaging 10, right? And then the next game, you give up 30. This data is 8, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 games worth of data. There's no way that data gets changed that dramatically by one game because it's just not enough data to change that number. So take that into what you like. You, you listen to what he says. You listen to the data and you make I a play. Right. I do not have a play on that game myself. I hope he's right. And only benefit me as a Jets. Oh, speaking of being right, you got to get your credit for that Miami win over Buffalo. Well, thank you. It was an ugly game for Buffalo, but it was an even uglier game in hindsight for Miami because that kid wasn't wobbling because he had a bad back. That well, kid was wobbling because he didn't know what day it was. Nothing's a concussion to Miami. I saw yeah. something on Twitter that was funny. Tua Tagovailoa, a questionable, he's been struck by a meteor. And I said, never mind. <laughs> uh, the, Dol- the Dolphins still might not think it's a concussion. You can't get hurt your head that way. That's right. <laughs> it's funny. When it happened, don't take this the wrong way. I got a concussion once. I know the symptoms. And my hand's paralyzed. I went right to my sports book and I took live action and I took money line on Cincinnati. Because I knew this guy's not coming back and I don't know who's playing, but I like money line when I can get money line when I see your quarterback waiting for a stretcher. But I had that happen to me. We were at a fish joint. You know how they got all the fried fish joints back where we live back in the East Coast? Mm-hmm. We're at the fish joint. I had got hit in the head at the Little League practice. Kind of shook it off and then and I'm in the backseat of the car. Also, my hands aren't working. So I kind of felt bad for him, but I took the I picked the Bengals to win before the game started. I might have another big week, boys, so better check out my pick. You brought up fish joints. It would be ideal for the Dolphins. More like fried fish at this point. So I said to my buddy, you know what? You look at Miami. The guy shouldn't own the team. If the guy in Phoenix got to sell the team, the guy in Miami should sell that team. He's just a bad, bad person. He's a bad human being. He should sell that team. Mm. And so bad things happen in bad organizations. Did you see at the end that corkscrew? He got the snap. Mo, has Mo ever been on here? Mo from the Mo Radio Show? First week he was here, and he hasn't been on since. works a lot. Yeah. He was a wrestler. He's actually in the Hall of Fame. He's the only Hall of Fame guest I've ever I know you guys have had Hall of Fame guests, but you're special. He's the only Hall of Fame guest I ever had. He's in the Indiana Hall of Fame for wrestling, but it looked like a wrestling move almost, but the AstroTurf and the Mother Earth is hard. Alright, so here's his other play. He says the Patriots are getting nine and a half now. They are well coached and Hoyer won't make costly kid mistakes that lose the game. I think two point shift. It's too many points to value Mac Jones. It really is a very good handicapping point that West brings up. With an injury, how many points is that person worth? It's really difficult. What if a left tackle goes out, right? A left tackle, how do you measure what he's worth? But if you watch the movie with Sandra Bullock, you know he's worth a lot. He's the second thing you do. You buy your mortgage, you get your insurance. You get your quarterback, you get your left tackle. So then we go to the easy sports data on that game, and that is New England and Green Bay, and it says Green Bay at home in the first half is an 11-2 against the spread, and that's what I'm doing with this game. I'm treating this game like a 
college game with a big point spread. I'm not touching the game. I'm going to have Green Bay in the first half. If they hold on, cover, fine. If they get back to it and win by seven, I don't care because I'll have cash and gone on to another game. Oh, so Green Bay definitely win this game. He could win too, and I could win. But I, I'm just saying 11-2 and two in the first half in 13 games, that's not an aberration. That's not a small sample. That's a decent sample when it comes to football team. Those were two plays for Wes. Never liked being the only guy. So thank you guys for being here because I wouldn't Absolutely. know how to push the buttons. I never liked being the only guy because I like bouncing off of other people's stuff. So I appreciate that Wes and Hector threw that stuff. And Jonathan was actually coaching. He coaches uh, high school football. Jonathan actually is going to finish the year as the number one Major League Baseball handicapper on Vegas Insider. Wow, really? that's awesome Good for him. This is a company that's been around for 25 years. This is a company that sells picks for a reason, to make money. If you're selling something bad, customers don't come back. you got to be good to get a customer to come back. If you give them a bad pizza, they ain't coming back. You give them a, a bad cocktail, they ain't coming back. You give them a bad pick, they ain't coming back. He's really really good but i've known him for years now so i wanted to give him a shout out only because it's a pretty cool thing and he's yeah. been on your show awesome did his wife give birth not yet he's not due for a while good for him it's his first right yeah it's something in the wake and bake i don't know if it's the cannabis and the water but everybody's getting pregnant eventually we'll hear that wes is pregnant there you <laughs> go. wes would be a good mom clemson nc state clemson's not covered but they're not giving a lot right what's the line it was six and a half the data is gonna tell you they're not covered but it's also showing you that they're giving 23 24 20 points every game. So to give six and a half, you could cover some of those games that you didn't cover winning the game outright. So I would have no problem betting Clemson at home. It's tough to play in that place. It's brutal. Yeah. They had a pretty big home winning streak for a while. Right. ACC's not great, but still. Arizona-Colorado. You saw that UCLA went in and kind of manhandled Colorado. I think Arizona's kind of doing the same thing. Don't get me wrong. I realize it's late. It's 9.30 at night. Oh, you worked all day. You got to go out. You got to meet your girlfriend at the club. Whatever. Just get the bed in before you go. I've been out. There's some hot chicks dancing, but there's also guys on the phone watching games, so don't be afraid to watch a game on your phone. And then what about Herm Edwards, huh? Absolutely. See you, don't want to be you. He's going to be seeing a lot of money in his pocket because he's going to be suing the college. He's had a long, pretty successful career. He was the guy on the punt. He was the guy that says, we play to win the game. Thank yeah, you for yeah. reminding me of the Giants-Eagles dark side. He's gone. There's nothing there for this team. I, I feel I, I, so I... bad for him, the way they treated him on his way out. Just absolutely. Yeah, bad. you know, but unfortunately... It happens. Once relationships go bad in the college sports game, the athletic director, of course, he deals with the board and president and stuff, so he's got to take care of, you know, everybody's covering their own ass. Coach does sometimes when he cans a DC or an OC, right? Well, something's got to happen. Okay, let me keep my job and I'll fire Joey, who worked with me for 20 years, but he's the offensive coordinator. So yeah, I like USC in that one, and then I'm going to finish it out with a parlay. For me, it's 6.30 at night. It's a whole different animal having a three-team parlay that starts at 6 30 at night because it's 6 30 the dishes are already in the dishwasher it's probably not drying them yet but it's pretty close to drying them and you're getting ready for dessert the ah. kitchen's clean everybody's kind of winding down and then i got pac 12 football i got three games i'm gonna have arizona usc and oregon in the over now the over's very high but stanford gave up some points to somebody and i remember saying wow if stanford gave up that many points to that team you'd use a common opponent in handicapping they beat tampa Bay and they lost to Tampa Bay by 14 so that gives you some reference point of versus Tampa Bay but they were at home and whatever with this team somebody that shouldn't 
score points on Stanford. It was probably one of those checks in the beginning of the year. You go to Stanford, right? They fill the stadium. They got all those rich alumni donating money, and they give you a big fat check because your stadium holds 27,000 people, and they beat you up. That didn't happen this year. They, like, squeaked out of it, and I said, if that team can score that many points on Stanford, what is Oregon going to score at home on Stanford? Because Oregon is a very exciting team. Wes was pretty adamant last week about Stanford upsetting Washington, but that didn't happen. Did you hear me say anything? I simply wrote next to my pick for Washington, Wes likes Stanford. So I backed off, and it was an easy winner for me. John, Wes, Mo, any of these guys, if they say the opposite team, I look again at the game, and sometimes I will back off. Sometimes I'll call them up and say, hey, you want me to take your, I'm taking the house's money on this game. You want me to take yours too? I'll double down with a side bet. I believe my handicapping could handicap with anybody. Hey, you said you're going to have a big week. you got some winners. Let's hear your winners, and I'll tell you what the data says. In the Baltimore-Buffalo game, I have Buffalo winning the game outright. I think Buffalo is the better overall team. I know they have a lot of injuries, and they're playing in Baltimore, but Buffalo losing last week against Miami, I definitely believe they're going to come out pretty strong in this game. I expect Diggs to have over 100 yards in this game. I expect Josh Allen to play better than he did last week. I don't know if Miami's defense was that good. The next week... Four days later, they played good. Yes. So, easy sports day to Buffalo in the second half. In the last 10 games in the second half, they've allowed nine or less in nine of those 10 games. Then Baltimore at home in the first quarter, eight straight games have gone under. So, if you got a Baltimore that goes under in the first quarter and a Buffalo team that doesn't allow people to score in the second half, you might have a good opportunity for an under on a game that a lot of people think is going to be high score. I got Vegas getting their first win against the Broncos. I I'm not a big fan of Nathaniel Hackett so far. Russell Wilson, a lot of people still love and think that he's going to come out of it, but he hasn't looked good the last couple of weeks. I think the Raiders are a lot better than they've shown on the field, and Josh McDaniels cannot go 0-4. I have the Raiders on the under, knocking off the Broncos. Yeah, on the the road, Denver is 1-6 against the spread in their last seven games. I still remember the field goal. That's just not the kind of coach I want. And then there's Kansas City Sunday Night Football versus the Buccaneers. I know the Buccaneers have Evans coming back, Julio Jones coming back, Chris Godwin is a game-time decision. I think this offense is going to be a lot better than it was last week against Green Bay. I think Brady will put up some numbers. Kansas City, we know they're going to put up numbers, but are they going to put up enough against Tampa and the way their defense is played? Tampa's secondary has not been as good as it was last year, but I still think they have more than enough. They have two really good linebackers that can get at the quarterback. I think they're going to put pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I still don't know what Kansas City's number one wide receiver is, and they're not going to be able to run against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they love to shut down that running game, which they've done really all season long. So I've got the Buccaneers winning this game on the over. Kansas City loses two games in a row, which puts them at 2-2 two and two in a very bad division right now. Bam. Yeah, it was supposed to be the yeah. best division in football. Definitely yeah, so let's see what we have games. on that. Tampa Bay, in the second half, in six straight games they've covered against the spread, and they allow 10 points or less in the last 10 of their 11 games. Defense that you mentioned is good. Kansas City on the road in the first half scored 14 or more in 5 of 6. So yeah, if you like Tampa Bay there, Tampa Bay in the over, but Tampa Bay coming back in the second half, they won. That was a winner for me. If something has happened here 9 straight, I probably hit on it already 4 or 5 times. So that's one of the reasons I catch a lot of tickets, guys. It's not because I'm a great handicapper. I'm just betting. Same thing I bet last time, and it won. 
one, duh. I don't take it off black. If I hit on black, I leave uh, it on black. My uncle says you have a 50-50 chance if you're playing red and black on the roulette. Except for a couple times, guess what has happened? That green dot shows yeah, up, or the right. double green. There's a fraction of the money on green. Mm. There's some people that always throw it on green, but there's a fraction of the money on green that there is on. The numbers are on the red and the black. So when it does pop green, there's a groan from most of the table, and one person is really excited over in the corner. Definitely not you, that's for sure. 35 to 1 or whatever. I got the Browns in the first quarter again. They've been winning in the first quarter. I like over in the Philly game, but these teams start slow, so I'm going to do some live action. Rather than than 48 and a half. I'm looking to get it to 42 and a half. So if you see Philly and Jacksonville game scored 43 or more, I hit that bet. I got Dallas. I got the under in the Giants game. The under in the Giants game, it moved. So I took it at 39 and moved to 36 and a half. So technically it was an over, but on my line, it was a push. And so for me, a push is a zero. And that means I'm still betting an under at the Meadowlands, when the Giants are playing at home, hasn't happened in two years. And the Bears and the Giants don't scream points. I like Detroit. I like Arizona. I like Green Bay. But I'm betting Green Bay early. And then, actually, one of my best bets is the last game, Monday night. I like the under. This is a first-half parley, the Rams at under, and a game parley, San Francisco and under, with a straight bet on the under. That's why Mondays are so wonderful for me. Thank you, Chaz, for joining us. Uh, shout out to Wes and John. Hector to Moneyline Mania has been rocking. And if you guys have not listened to this segment, well, you're not making any money. You have to listen to Wake and Bake every single Saturday morning. It's one of the best handicapping shows. Where your audience is, it's 11 o'clock. There's yeah. no excuses to not be up and stoned by 11 o'clock. If you're not up and stoned by 11 o'clock on the East Coast, that's your own fault. You can get stoned and listen to a show that will make you some money. I think it's very, very important to check it out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check it out on WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. You can go to Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Chaz, thank you for joining us, bud. Always be capturing, guys. There you go. Moneyline Mania, ladies and gentlemen. Chaz gave you some good winners from Wes and Hector and himself and... You heard a little bit of me. You have a chance to win some money. Bet last week, if I put some money on that Miami game, I would have made myself some big bucks. Chaz and his boys rocking and jockeying. When we come back, we will be talking to the pain in the butt himself, Ranger guy for forever blue shirts and daily go horn, our friend, Anthony Scaltore. Thank you very much for all the Ranger fans to piss me off. He'll piss me off as I'm sure he's going to torture me with the Islanders when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Harold Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we finally have this guy on this show. A guy that I very much respect, but gives me such a headache. Yes, all you Ranger fans should be very excited, as we now are talking to owner of Forever Blue Shirts and Daily Go Horn, Anthony Scaltore. Anthony, what's up, my friend? How are you guys? Nice to talk to you. Speedy, over the last couple of months, I asked him, I was like, when are we going to get that Ranger guy on? (laughs) 
And he says, oh, Anthony? I say, that's right, Anthony, because I'm sure he had so much excitement last year going into the playoffs, having the season that they had, their young goaltender, Justerkin, who's played very, very well. This was the best goaltending season we've seen in the last five years, and and a lot of Ranger fans say, oh, he's better than Henrik Lundqvist. He's going to take us to the championship. We're, we're going to win our first championship since 1994. Before we get into Sturkin and his season and all the other Ranger factors in the offseason, how are you? How are you, you and your family doing since COVID? We're good. Thanks for asking. Like everybody else, we've made the best of it, trying to have a positive attitude. Things are good. Also, take a second for everyone that's in the storm's path, the hurricane. Just Absolutely. Wishing everyone well in prayers because I've seen some videos coming out of Florida right now and it's pretty stunning. Horrible. Being in the New York area, Sandy was something to live through, but in comparison, just look at what's going on down there. It's amazing. So prayers to everyone there. How are you guys doing? You guys look well. Mm, I know yes. it's been a year since we spoke. I heard the, a little bit of the intro. I heard <laughs> you kind of set me up. Yes, you're an Islander guy. You're probably my favorite Islander. <laughs> Thank you. Right? I feel so, it's one of the few you like. <laughs> I've grown to love them all. The truth is, I think when we last spoke, I know you were riding really high. Yes. Things were feeling really yes. good. And in a very, very short time, you found out that the Islanders aren't who really. Hold, hold, hold on one second. Too bad. Last year, in the beginning of the season, they traveled 11,000 miles in the first month. 13 road games to start. Is it really it's horrible? Great. It was brutal. Then COVID, they had nine starters. Yep out for two weeks. They were playing guys we never even heard of. And they went on that 11 or 12 game losing streak. And that pretty much cost them the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. And the Islanders got a raw deal. And then I still would love the inside scoop on this, but you firing Barry Trotz is absolutely horrendous of a move. I'm sorry. I don't know what was the real reason behind it. I don't know what Barry Trotz was looking for. I think Lane Lambert is a nice transition, mm -hmm. which won't be disruptive. But the truth is, when you look at the Islanders, they went through two seasons where they got to the conference finals and couldn't get past the Tampa Bay Lightning, playing that smash mouth team defense that is really hard to do for a long period of time. Ask any John Tortorella team that's been any good. It just grinds you to bone. I don't think that was necessarily what caused them to miss the playoffs. But going forward, they just don't have enough offense. And I think it's going to become even more evident with the way the Metro division has improved all around. So the difficult thing for the Islanders is they did nothing this offseason, except to, for take a downgrade in coaching. We could talk about Romanoff, and I think he's a nice addition to the to a ver an already good defense, but who's Matt Barzell playing with? Mm. I mean, I love Anders Lee, but who's Matt Barzell playing with? Which is true. We've watched two preseason games, and they've scored two goals. Barzell yeah. played a couple of shifts, so we haven't seen a lot of these lines really develop and what we see that these lines are going to be playing under Lambert. And I agree with you. They didn't really do anything. Romanoff, I think, is a nice piece. I think now putting together with Dobson, you have your future number one line defense, defensive yes. parent. The problem here is, is the offense. And I agree with you. What Lou did in the offseason, firing Barry Trotz, only time will tell. Maybe Lou writes a story. Maybe Barry Trotz writes a book in a couple of years, and maybe we find the real truth out. I like Lambert. I want to see what Lambert could do as a head coach. We still don't know who he is behind the bench because we've seen who took over for Barry Trotz over there in Washington. It didn't work out over there. Lambert is a guy that a lot of people, a lot of experts have said they really, really like this hire. He's not going to change anything because he's Barry Trotz's disciple. So we'll see how it works out. And yes, they're not going to score a lot of goals this year. It's going to be rested on Sorokin and his development and this defense. And I agree with you. In the NHL now, smash mouth defenses are not like what it was in the 90s with the Florida Panthers when they 
played the trap Roger Nielsen and then the New Jersey Devils when they played with Lou Lamorello and Robinson as the head coach and Jacques Lemaire. It's not the same thing. It's a different game. It's an offensive speed game. Going into the offseason, the Islanders didn't make the offensive moves that Islander fans wanted. They have some guys, young players, that could really take it to the next level this year. Wallstrom is a good young player. I like Kiefer Bellows. I don't know if he's a part of their future, but I like him. Ronti, I think he's going to be a fantastic player. A lot of experts believe that the Islanders stole him. A lot of people thought he should have been a first-round draft pick. He fell into the second round. And uh, they have some good guys. But the Rangers, I think the Rangers lost some pieces in the offseason that a lot of Ranger fans didn't like. They added a piece, a face-off guy that could win face-offs. He's gritty. He scored 20-some-high goals last year. A lot of Ranger fans think that because of what they did last year, it's going to get them to that next level, maybe the Stanley Cup Finals, after going and getting burnt in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were just better than they were. I don't know about that. I think, I think they, they were. They were more experienced, and I think you can give them credit. I think they were better. When you say better, the way you're saying better was like infinitely better. And the truth of the matter is... No, I didn't say played, that. They yeah. played 20 games in 40 nights. Mm-hmm. That was every other night of playoff hockey. What I think a young Rangers team learned is that you cannot go to seven round. You can't go seven in the first two rounds. Can't survive playoffs that way. You need to find that killer instinct that championship teams have. Mm -hmm. The Colorado Avalanche, for all the failures before, went on a 16-4 and run. They didn't play any games. They didn't let anybody off the hook. They annihilated everyone in their path. I think the St. Louis Blues gave them the biggest scare. I think the Lightning just kind of hung in there, but the Blues might have had the best chance to beat them. Nobody else even came close. The Avs are who they are. Their path is very similar to like the Rangers' path because the Rangers, their young guys are starting to fill in those gaps that you were talking about. Andrew Kopp gone. Frank Vitrano, nice player, mm-hmm. gone, but replaceable. Kopp would be a little harder to replace. Strom was the piece that was hardest to replace, and they did with Vincent Trocek. And I think Trocek is a better playoff player, certainly difficult to play against, and that's what you need in the playoffs. Will he have chemistry with Panarin? That's the question everyone's asking. Who's going to be the right wing on that line? I think it should be Kako. I don't think it should be Kratzoff. And if anybody's watched these two preseason games, you can tell Kratzoff is not being playing in the NHL, not playing in the AHL, and being in the KHL last two seasons. He needs to play on that third line and just start getting comfortable with the NHL game before you start throwing them on a line with Panarin. And I think Lafreniere is going to go on that first line with Kreider and Zibanejad. Lafreniere scored 20 goals almost last year, 19 in his sophomore season. If he's playing top-line minutes, he should be able to get 30. He scored 19 playing primarily third-line, no power play. Guy had one power play assist, I believe. That's saying something. He is a first overall pick for a reason. So when you look at the Rangers, I'm not going to scream that they're going to win the cup. I think that's ridiculous. Do they have the pieces? What needs to fall into place? Looking at the Eastern Conference, I think they actually have a great chance to be the team that goes to the Stanley Cup Finals to face probably the Colorado Avalanche again because the Avalanche looked pretty darn good again. Fully stacked. I don't know about their goaltending. That's suspect, but I didn't have any faith in Darcy Kemper and he won a cup. If that Stanley Cup does happen, Alexander Georgiev versus the Rangers. I wouldn't there. put Georgiev as the starter. No, I don't yet. think so either. I'm just thinking that'd be Final a funny headline. We'll, we'll have a say in yeah. the matter. But no, I agree with Georgiev you. Georgiev is in the mix. So how about the defense? The young defensive players we saw Nils Lundqvist just get traded last week to Dallas. They got a first yeah, round pick for no him. So Zach Jones, Braden Schneider, is that the path they're going yeah. to and what do you think their ceiling is when i look at the rangers defense i'm looking at the rangers defense as possibly one of the best in the league 
Islander fans will immediately go crazy, but Adam Fox is a Norris Trophy winner. Top Fantastic. I think Ryan Lindgren is a great partner for a guy like Adam Fox. Maybe Ryan Lindgren on another team wouldn't be as special. His chemistry with Fox, you mentioned the 90s, right? I heard you before saying that the 90s is probably the golden Absolutely. Era. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Being a kid from the 90s myself, I could start rattling off every team had somebody who I think could have been in the Hall of Fame. With that being said, Rangers 90s, Leach and Bukaboom. Bukaboom's a solid defenseman. You put him with somebody else, maybe he's not Bukaboom as everyone knows him. He was the perfect match for Leach and allowed Leach to be who he was. I look at that symbiotic relationship and say, yes, those two are a great defensive pair. I look at Jacob Truba and Keandre Miller and Truba is a hard hitting, hard nosed defenseman. Does he make some mistakes? Sure. But he's still a veteran leader and he played a big role for the Rangers last year. But the key, no pun intended, is Keandre Miller, who has all the tool sets for being one of the best defensemen in the league himself. He's got a great shot, incredible speed. All that was lacking for me was just the hockey IQ of knowing when to jump and when to step back. And he seems to be getting that. And once he puts all these pieces together, he's going to be right up there in the conversations for the Norris Trophy. I wouldn't say top three, but at least somebody might say, you know, that kid is pretty good. We should probably talk about him. When you come to the third pair defense, Braden Schneider is a first-round pick for a reason. He's like a young Jacob Truba who's a little bit faster, makes a better outlet pass. I want to see more offense. I want to see him step up and be a little bit more physical. And Zach Jones is the leading candidate because Zach Jones has an extremely high hockey IQ. And he has to because he's one of the small defensemen. Quick moving with the puck. Can't play out of his comfort zone. He needs to be who he is. And plus, he's probably going to make it because this is the last year of his entry-level contract. He's 21 years old. Rangers need to know what they have before they actually move him or trade him. Otherwise, you're kind of wasting an asset because he's kind of highly regarded. So I think those are your six defensemen, and Libor Hayek is going to be your seventh defense when this all shakes out. We are talking to the owner of Forever Blue Shirts and Daily Goalhorn, Anthony Terry. I would say that the Rangers have a good, young bunch of pairing defensemen. And I think Adam Fox is a fantastic player. But he's also playing with great offensive players. And that's why he's up for the Norris Trophy every single year. Because he's playing with top good offensive players. Sounds like Islanders envy. No. (laughs) The Islanders have like Noah Dobson. He had 50 points last year. but He's awesome. He's a great young player. But we don't know how great he could be. Because they don't have the offensive firepower that Adam Fox has. Where you could say, oh my god, this guy could be one of the best offensive defensemen in the NHL. Maybe the Islanders should be spending millions and millions of dollars on fourth line players like Casey's. Zekas and Cal Clutterbuck and Matt. Well, I, They're a great fourth line, a great idea. Well, hold on one second. They re-signed Clutterbucks. He's not making a lot of money. Casey Sezekis is making three and a half. I like Casey Sezekis. The Rangers wanted to sign him. I like him too. He's not a very... I think he's a great player and he's a great leader. But I think what the Islanders is in the offseason, there was just not many offensive players that were out there. The players that they were interested, they struck out on because they wanted an extra year and Lou Lamorello does not like to dig into his pockets after four years. These guys wanted five, six-year contracts. Lou wasn't going that way. He did it with his defensemen because he knew Pelic and Pulak were their future. Those two guys are arguably the two best defensive pairings in the NHL. They didn't overpay those guys. I understand why Islander fans are saying they didn't do anything. I know everybody's trying to compare the Rangers. There is nothing right now to compare. We have to see how the season starts. And really, it's all about the goaltending. The reason why the Rangers were as good as they were last year, Sesterkin was dancing on his head. Just call him Shesty. Same thing with the Islanders for Sorokin. Everybody expects that these two goaltenders are the future of their organizations. And that's why Lou believes that 
they didn't have to go out and spend the money for an offensive player. If their defense and their goaltending is at the top of the league, they could compete. I don't know, I don't so, know if Lou thought that. Lou, Lou went won. after a couple of people and missed on them. I was very happy they didn't get Kadri. Kadri's a center, so it wasn't really going to help Barzell. No. It would have helped Barzell on a power play because yes. he's going to put them both on the first unit. So you could have gotten more points. You still needed a winger for Barzell. You couldn't land. If it's they put Kadri in, it means they probably would have had to J.P. Pajot. Uh, Anthony Bolivier. Yes. yes, which I think was a bad move for the Islanders because because the guy is a great center. He wins a lot of faceoffs, and you need that in the playoffs. So losing a particular center that good, it makes no sense. So I was very happy they didn't get Kadri. What I was really upset about with the Islanders, going into the offseason, I liked a couple of players in trade talks with the Islanders. Tarasenko, who is still dangling out there, and he has one more year left on his contract. Maybe they trade him at the trade deadline. If the Islanders are a playoff team, I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders get Tarasenko. But I don't want to overpay players, because... It hurts your cap. Look at before Lamorello. Andrew Ladd, Boychuk, screwed the Islanders when it comes to contracts. It doesn't make sense. You're not going to overpay players of that magnitude with an age of 30 or higher that kind of money. There are always teams out there you could salary dump to that will use their cap to get high draft picks. The Chicago Blackhawks, they're still telling people, we'll take a bad contract, we're good. We'll take one and and we'll take another first round pick because they're in the middle of a rebuild. Mm -hmm. So there are teams that will weaponize the cap. You can dump if you need to. For the love of God, even though it was not a big cap hit, the Rangers got rid of Patrick Nemeth, attached a second round pick to him and got $2.5 million off the books and everything counts. Good teams, good general managers know how to work the cap. You can just go to Julian Brisebois in Tampa Bay. Year after year, they're up against the cap and they're able able to find ways to be competitive. Or you could just be the Coyotes that take three retired players. The Coyotes picks. are a mess. I don't know what's going on with them. It's like Gary Bettman. They want to lose. Pet project is I refuse to move them to Quebec. They're going to have a new stadium built in three years. So hopefully that new arena brings new life and they could do something. Everybody wants it's- that number one pick this year because this kid is the next Connor McDavid. They think that this kid is going to be the best player in the last 10 years. They think that he's better than Connor McDavid. I've seen some of the highlights reels on Bedard. He's fantastic. Yes. There's no doubt. He's but- the surest thing that we've seen in a long time. Again, a lot of people were saying that about Shane Wright, and then he wound up going forward. There's a long year. I think you're 100% correct. Bedard is going to be the number one pick. Mm -hmm. Whoever's lucky to pull that lottery pick out, good for that. I want the Islanders to do that. I just don't want to see a losing season to do it. Nope. You got to pick one. You got to take or you got to go for Bedard. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You're not going to be happy about yeah, it. But I yeah. think the Islanders are a lottery team this year. I just don't think they're I a disagree. top 10 lottery team to move up enough to get that number one pick. I think they're one of those teams that probably just misses out. When you look at the Metro division, like I told you before, we'll the go Metro division it. is still Stacked. It's not we'll go through an it. easy division. To me, your first and second place is going to be decided once again between the Rangers and the Hurricanes. Disagree. I think the Rangers take it this time around and it'll be close. I think third place is going to be fought between the Capitals and the Penguins. And I think the Islanders might find themselves in a battle with a very good and upcoming Columbus Blue Jackets team that now has Johnny Gaudreau on it. And I think that could be something to keep an eye on. And the reason why I say that is simply because the Islanders don't don't have enough offense. Sorokin will have to be outstanding and steal some games two to one in order for you to be in the playoff mix. Now, the Islanders to me are 90 plus point team. They're still going to be right up there. Do the Capitals or the Penguins falter? I have a hard time seeing the Penguins falter because the Penguins decided we're going to destroy 
any chance of us being competitive in about three years when Crosby retires because we just took on Jeff Petrie's contract and his age. We just gave Malkin a bunch of money. We just gave Latang a bunch of money. These guys are going to be 40 years old by the time their contracts expire. They're already getting close to 40 as it is. The Penguins really have decided to go all in on winning a cup either this year or next because they know after that Crosby's probably retiring because he even said it when his contract is up in three years he'll evaluate if he wants to continue playing then they'll have to figure out how do they dump Malkin's contract or buy it out or Latang can they salary dump him at some point I have no idea what the Penguins are going to do but at least for this year they're in the mix for the playoffs loaded and in the mix we are talking to owner of forever blue shirts and daily goal horn Anthony's called Terry you think the Rangers are the top two teams in the Metropolitan Division. I disagree with you. I think the Hurricanes are by far the best team in this Metropolitan Division. I think this year, I'm doing what you did about a year and a half ago. I think the Philadelphia Flyers, as oh. bad as the season they had last year, they're going to have a better season this year. I like some of the young players. They have one of the best farm systems in hockey. I think their young goaltender, Hart, didn't have a good season last year. I think he's going to have a better season season this year. I know they made a, a terrible trade at the trade deadline, which kind of threw me off on why they did it. I think they're an up-and-coming team. I like what the Devils did in the offseason. Some of the young players, some of the veteran players that they brought in, I don't think they're a playoff team, but I like what they did. I think the Penguins are washed up. I don't even know if they're making the playoffs. Their goaltending stinks. By the way, great signing by the Rangers, Deming. Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jarry got lit up by the Red Wings. In yeah. It was bad. You guys are getting lit up by the Red Wings in exhibition already? Their goaltending he doesn't look good against exhibition. We're not going to put too much stock in exhibition. And the Capitals, they're another old I, team. I agree. Every year we're waiting for the Penguins and the Capitals to falter and they still stick around. I oh. thought the same thing last year. I did think so too. And there they were battling out. And the Penguins finished third and the Caps made the playoffs. I like what the Blue Jackets did this offseason. Yes. I'm still questioning certain things about this team. I like their goaltending. Their defense, I don't know. Last year in the second half of the season, their defense completely fell apart. Not How healthy will Wierenski be too. Now the Rangers off Defensively, has more talent than all of them. Defensively, I think you're blowing their defense up a little too much. I, I think they had a very good season last year. Defensively, they're not a good team defensive team. We saw that in the playoffs. Rangers are not. Listen, you can't not. Call a team they have single players that are good. Eastern Conference Final, not a good defense team. Who's the captain of the team for the Rangers? Rangers? The team that you're lauding. Who is the captain of the Rangers now? Jacob Truba. Oh, wonderful. Perfect pick for the New York Rangers. Here's another. Why would you pick Jacob Truba? Kreider should have been picked to be their captain. Truba okay? was supposed to be the captain last year. They I... were supposed to name him. All the insider information Horrible. was supposed to be that he was going to be named. And Galat came in. I don't know what conversations took place. But I think he wanted to have a season under him before he made a final decision because the Rangers did have some candidates. Kreider, Zibanejad are two names you could easily put up top as being possible candidates. With Truba's contract, there would, might have been some consideration. Are we going to eventually move on from him sooner rather they than should. later? But after last year, when you talk about a captain, it's not just about what they do on the ice. It's what they do off. And apparently, when it comes to all that off ice, keeping the team together, setting up those things. When Adam Fox won the Norris, he set up the party. I know these things sound trivial, I know, but I understand. what the captains are doing to keep it. the team together, right? You want to have that locker room camaraderie and that family feeling. Once he was named captain, you had Kreider say he was a great choice. Now, everyone's going to say, well, of course these guys are going to say that. What are they going to say? Terrible pick, but it seemed like they were genuine in saying that. 
And Ryan Strom, who left the team. Oh, God, please. He did a couple of interviews, shows. One of them was like the Cam and Strick podcast. And he was talking about Truba and how Truba turned the series around. Not just because he was the one that made the contact with Crosby, but he was the one going into game five with the rah-rah speech to say, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to win this series. Mm. So that's the guy who decided to speak up. It wasn't Mika. It wasn't Kreider. And that's why he got named captain. Will he be here for the remaining years of his contract? I wrote an article on foreverblueshirts.com. And I was like, you know what? Let me look at all the Rangers captains. Let me tally up all the years they were captain. What's the average? Three seasons. You have Messier who was captain for 10 years, but mm. it was split between two stints. So literally like being captain of the Rangers doesn't necessarily doesn't mean no. you're going to be in the distance. They traded the last two. They traded Callahan and McDonough. Yes, I like both of those guys. I wish the yeah. Islanders brought in Callahan whenever he became available. They I, weren't I, really contending. No, but even though with the concussion problems that he had, I like Ryan. And I also like McDonough. Where did he go in the offseason? Which I think it was a terrible, players. terrible move by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think they're they had no it. choice. This is what happens when you're a contending team and you're up against the cap. You've got to make these hard decisions. And they mm. saved over $4 million by basically dumping him for picks. And they did it to try and keep some other guys around. We really appreciate you joining us. And I definitely want to get you on before the season's end. And we'll see where your sure. Rangers are at. You actually think that the Islanders are a lottery team, which I think is very funny. I, I, I like that I you're laughing at me. I think it's funny. I, I guess you didn't play back the tape when I said that the Islanders were one of the top two teams last year. I remember you oh. said that, but I also oh, remember I the year before when you said the Islanders are not a playoff team and they're a lottery team. And they weren't. They were one of the better teams in the NHL. You also said Philadelphia. They were going to win the division. That was at the start of the short season. <laughs> Hold on. Now we're going I back love two you. seasons. Anthony, I love messing around with you. I can believe I said the Flyers are going to stink last year. I love your writing. I love what you do, not only for New York sports and what you do for the Ranger fans, what you do for hockey. It's definitely credible and who you are and, and very well respected, not only around the NHL nation, but for Ranger Nation. You're one of the faces of their stories and their great writing. So I wish you nothing but the best, as always. And you're a friend of the show, and I am a fan of yours, even though I disagree with you wholeheartedly on some of the things that you said. Same to you. <laughs> I you love know, you, I Anthony. It. I appreciate it, and I'll yeah. be happy to come on when you guys want me. Anytime, man. Definitely want to argue some hockey with you. Awesome. Anthony Scaltore, again, taking shots at the New York Islanders. Wonderful. He thinks they're going to be a lottery team this year. Hmm. But I'm not, not good, surprised. But not good enough to get Connor Bedard. <laughs> he doesn't want the Islanders to get anybody. He doesn't want the Islanders to be anywhere or do anything. I'm going to predict this. If they're a lottery team, they're going to get a top three pick this year. There is no way they're going to be a lottery team and they're going to miss out on one of these top three players. This is a very good draft, top five heavy, but there are five players that could be stars in this league. Bedard, who is going to be Connor McDavid-esque, and whoever gets that number one pick is going to have a very special player. Could you imagine him play with Barzell? How scary that line would be? I mean, that would take a lot. Either the Islanders would be really bad or the Islanders would get one of the biggest lottery luck of all time. Well, they got John Tavares. I remember when he was drafted. Right, but the Islanders at that time were like the worst team in the East. So they're not thought of that now. <laughs> yeah, I know. You can only hope. But thank you, Anthony, for just making me disgusted even more. As I'm looking forward to a very poor season of the New York Islanders. Which I disagree with him. I don't care what Skull Terry tells me. Anyways, when we come back, what do we got, Speedy? We got the return of the Barclays Circus and then some crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. Oh, I like this. A little dancing. A little Coolio. May had, rest in peace, Had to do one. Had to yeah. do one Coolio song. Rest in peace, Coolio. 
age 59, passes away this past week. Loved Gangster's Paradise. He had some dance music. I'm liking it. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York is your time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into crunch time, there was something very silly said from that circus over there in Brooklyn by a coach that I've always respected as a player in Steve Nash. But this past week, Steve Nash speaking to the press and having those practices, which practices are starting right now because preseason is a week away and you have all these Players going back and getting ready, getting into shape for the season. Steve Nash speaks out about his team, how special this team could be this year or with Kevin Durant and the healthy Kyrie Irving. No more of these COVID stipulations here in New York. And Ben Simmons is actually 100% healthy and ready to go. And the press asks him, are you worried about Ben Simmons' jump shot? Are you worried that he can't hit a jump shot which he's had problems everywhere and every year he's played. And he said, very easily, we don't need him to score. We don't need him to shoot. We don't need him to be able to hit a jump shot every single time. We just want him to play his game. Defense, pass, do the things that he's good at. Now let me ask you this question, Steve. This is a professional basketball team. This guy is, at one point, one of the best players in the league because he does everything good but score. Why isn't this kid shooting 500 shots at the Barclay Center every single day? This man can't even hit a free throw. There are 10-year-olds that can hit 20, 30, even 50 free throws in a row. This man can't hit two. As a matter of fact, I can't even tell you when the last time he hit a free throw. Certainly wasn't in the playoffs. That is not going to sell me. You're paying this man $35 million. A person that can't hit a free throw if his life depended on it. He couldn't hit a jump shot if his life depended on it. And the last time he hit a three-point shot was probably in his high school career. And then you're going to go to the press and say it doesn't matter. We don't care about that. Right there explains why Kevin Durant wanted him fired at the end of last season. You cannot sell me that your third best player, one of the best overall all-around players in some people's eyes in the NBA who's making the money that he's making, you don't care that he can't and he shouldn't hit a jump shot. Well, Steve Nash, if you're not trying to deceive everybody game planning-wise, you better be ready to adjust to this because Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, if they were going to receive double teams already, assuming they all play, that's a big question itself, you better be ready for everything else where they're going to get even more double teams. Oh, Ben Simmons isn't going to shoot? Yeah, well, we shouldn't even try to guard shot defense. No, not necessary. Good luck, Steve Nash, with your lack of depth you already have on that team. If you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, And you're a Ben Simmons fan. If this man does not shoot or hit a free throw in the first game of the season in the Barclays Center, I would boo him all the way out of that stadium. This man should be hitting free throws, practicing, learning how to shoot a jump shot. You're a great, talented, number one pick from LSU, and you're not a smart guy. You are a horrible student in LSU. You need to figure out what your game is 
as an NBA player. You've been in the league six years now. You're still fairly a young player. You're 26 years old. You're still in the prime of your career. Figure it out already. You can't go into the season and you have your coach sticking up for you because he doesn't want you running him out of the practice facilities like you did with Doc Rivers. The circus is soon to be open, ladies and gentlemen. So enjoy the clowns. Enjoy the masquerade of craziness when they start losing. I can't wait until the season. Mm-hmm. I will watch Brooklyn Net games just to see what crazy thing is going to happen. I really think there's going to be a lot of craziness that's going to happen. Kevin Durant with his crybaby antics and his press conferences, Kyrie Irving with his stupidity, and then Ben Simmons, who just is an absolute jerk. Definitely going to be a circus this year. Barclay Circus. That's right. And now, as always, Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, I know it's football season, but we're going to start baseball this week. Francisco Alvarez called up by the Mets. Buy or sell? He will have a home run before the end of the regular season. Not going to happen. He has not been playing very well in AAA. He was a great AA player. He was hitting over 300. His numbers have definitely dipped ever since he went to AAA. And I think it has a lot to do with the competition. I still think he's a top prospect, but no. Six games left, he will not. I'm going to buy it. I think he could get one against the Nationals. I don't think he'll do it against the Braves. The Braves have a tough pitching staff, but the Nationals, they're not playing for anything. They're a 30-year-old rookies up at this point. So I don't think it happens against the Braves, but Nationals, I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. Both Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel have 100-plus yards in their matchup on Monday night. I'm going to buy it. I think both players are going to have big games. Cooper Cup usually has 100 yards. Debo Samuels is the number one target for the big guy, Jimmy Garoppolo. So I will absolutely buy that. We're disagreeing again. I'm going to sell it. I think the 49 our secondary's done a nice job this year. Much improved against these number one type receivers. Uh, you saw them do that against Cortland Sutton with the Broncos. They haven't really played much beyond that, but I think they contain him enough, and I think the Rams contain Debo Samuel. I think it'll be more of the other running game that'll be able to get it going. I think George Kittle has a big game as well, and the Niners win that way. I am going to sell it. Alright, let's go to a hockey one. Both the Rangers and the Islanders will finish top three seeds in the Metropolitan this year. I'm going to sell that. I think one of them will. I have to see what the Islanders are when the season starts offensively. I think they're going to be one of the best defenses in the league and I do believe they're one of the best young goalies in the NHL. Very well respected already around the league. I don't know what they're going to be offensively. I don't know what the Rangers are going to be defensively this year. As we heard Scaltari say that they have one of the best defenses in the league. I don't know how he sells that to anybody because of what they did in the playoffs defensively as a team. So I am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think the Islanders will be a wild card team. I don't know if I trust their offense enough to be able to make it to a top three seed because I do think, like Scaltari was saying, one of Washington or Pittsburgh will probably still have enough veteran experience to get the third spot. I think the Rangers will get the two, and I think the Hurricanes will still be number one this year, just like last year. I think I trust Pittsburgh a little more than Washington, but I think the Islanders will be in a dogfight for that wild card with a lot of these other young teams, so I am going to sell it as well. All right, let's go to college football. USC at home covers minus 25 and a half against Arizona State. Now while you're with Herm Edwards. Oh, absolutely. I I think USC will absolutely cover it. I love what Lincoln Raleigh is. I love what he's doing with this team. I think this team is going to be a national championship competitive team for many, many years to come. And Arizona State, I don't know what's going on with them. The Herm Edwards thing, I think Herm Edwards is absolutely going to sue the college for what they did to him. Disgusting what they did to him. And everybody knows how much and what I feel about Herm Edwards. I have nothing but respect for the man, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. And I think USC's defense, yeah, it hasn't been great yet, but it's still getting progressively better as the season goes along. Arizona State, only one win so far this year, and USC's offense is as good as any in college football right now, so I will buy that as well. All right, we'll go on to an NBA one. 
one. Aime Odoka will be fired before the end of the Celtics suspension. I believe it. There's no way the Celtics are going to keep this guy on their roster. Everything is starting to pass through. I don't think anybody's going to be talking about it. But once this team starts to lose or this young coach doesn't figure this out and this offense and this defense doesn't play as well as they did in the second half of the season and maybe make a run to the finals, people are going to be talking about Adoka. And, and once they do that, the whole story is going to start to break wind. And I mean, break wind like a fart. And I, I do believe it's going to smell out every single person that was involved with this craziness. So I do believe it's going to happen. I buy that he will be fired before the season's end. I do as well. It's just a matter of who the other second woman was because allegedly there were two of them. I think they're just waiting on that and they're going to fire everybody all at once. Everyone involved in that scandal. I absolutely believe it'll happen this season. I am going to buy it. All right, back to the NFL. Lamar Jackson will have more all-purpose yards than Josh Allen. I buy it. I think Lamar Jackson's going to be able to run the ball, give him 80, 90 yards. I think the front seven's not going to be able to stop him. He's very good, very slippery, as we saw against the Jets. And I think he's going to throw 200 yards, 250 yards. So I think that's going to be enough. I don't know if Josh Allen's going to throw 300. I still think he's going to be able to throw enough to beat him. But, yeah, all-purpose yards, I think it absolutely can happen. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I like the matchup with Lamar Jackson against the Bills' secondary, all banged up the way it is. And a base defense like the Bills has had trouble with running quarterbacks in the past two. I know they did well against Lamar Jackson in the playoff game against the Ravens, but beyond that, they've had issues because they play a lot of zone and they have a lot of injuries right now. I think that'll be hard for them to overcome. So I am going to buy that as well. All right, by ourselves, back to Rangers and the Islanders. Both Shesterkin and Sorokin will be top five in goals against this year. I believe it. I think both goaltenders are going to really take it to the next level. Sorokin definitely, we know what Shesterkin is going to do and what we have seen him do. Runner up for the heart. He was goalie of the year, so we know what he's going to be. I think he might take two steps back from what he was last year because that was an unbelievable year. I think he'll be amongst the league's best, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. It's a defensive system with the Islanders. Sorokin was at 2.58 last year and was fourth last year, and there's really not a lot of great goaltenders to trust. There's some breakout young ones. Yusei Saros, Jake Ottinger for Dallas was very good last year, but again, a lot of the guys that did well last year were just random breakouts. Jacob Markstrom for the first time, guys like that, and Shesterkin I could trust to be a little more stable. I think the Rangers' defense will continue to stay good. Yeah, different young players, but the Islanders definitely in the same position where their defense is great, so I am going to buy that as well. Buy or sell, Clemson will beat number 10 North Carolina State at home by double digits. I'm going to buy it. I want to see Clemson play and actually play at the top of their game because when Clemson is good, that means the national championship could be even better. Everybody thought Clemson was going to be a top four team this year. They haven't started off strong. I expect them to pick up the game and actually play as good as they thought they were going to be this year. I think they have a very good recruiting class. They have one of the more known coaches in all of college football, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I still like NC State's defense a lot to be able to make a difference. Their quarterback, Devin Leary, that a lot of people like this year, maybe could be an NFL guy. I haven't been super impressed with, but he's had some good throws. They've been pesky in close games so far this year, sometimes underwhelming at the same time, too. But I think they hang tough. I think Clemson will win, but I do think it's a one-possession game. I am going to sell it. All right, last one. Aaron Judge will hit number 62 this weekend against the Orioles. I'm going to buy it. I think it's going to happen. I want 
want this to be over. I want Aaron Judge to move forward, hopefully hit 315, 316, and then sit on it and hopefully win the Triple Crown, a.k.a. Jose Reyes, yep. when he won the batting title. So I am going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I know the Orioles had better pitching than expected this year. They're going to stay aggressive, I think, at this point. I know they won their first game on Friday, but they're not going to intentionally walk and just pitch around them just for the heck of it like you saw the Red Sox do. So I think it does happen. I'll say it happens tomorrow, I think, on the Sunday slate. Orioles, Yankees, that's when it'll happen. Number 62 for Aaron Judge. I buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. Thank you to Forever Blue Shirts and Pain in the Butt for the Daily Goal Horn, Anthony Scaltari, Ranger guy, well-known. Go check out his website. It's one of the more popular Ranger websites here in New York. I mean, it's very popular. He's very well-known. His stories is as good as any story right now when it comes to hockey online. So check him out. His writers are great. His writings are great, even though he's just an all-Ranger fan. So if you're a Ranger fan, check him out. If you're not, well, just laugh at his stories. And if you're an Islander fan, be ready for him to argue. Well, that's him. If you want to check him out on social media, you can deal with his crap over there as well. But anyways, I love Anthony, but he hates the Islanders, and I can't stand the Rangers. So there you go. Thank you to Moneyline Mania, Chaz, Wes, couldn't make it tonight. He's busy. He's got a kid. He's got a job. So thank you to Wes, as always. We did get some of his picks. You definitely got to listen to this segment over again if you haven't checked out the segment because these guys are as good as any handicappers in the country, and there's no lie on that. Go check out the numbers. It doesn't lie. Thank you to all the fans and the people that support everything that we do here in New York as we are the voices of New York and Long Island. Keep listening to us as our show is booming all over the country, including here on the island, as we will be back next week. As always, hockey season will be back as well very, very soon. So we might be on after the Islander game as the season progressively moves forward. So 1030, 10 o'clock when the Islander games are on at Saturday. But right now, 7 o'clock, keep tuning in. We'll be back next week. Good night.